Welcome to the Word Podcast. The Lord God has given us His Word. Let us learn it. Let us live it. Let us rejoice in it. Spread the Word. Blessings, everybody. This is Dale. Thank you so much for joining with me today on the Word Podcast. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Titus again. We just started this in the last episode. So let's go to Titus. Titus is a really short book. After all the T's, all the T name books are together in the New Testament. So it's back toward the back, middle part, middle back part of the New Testament. And we saw uh, at the beginning that Paul was declaring who it was that was writing. It was him. And Paul described himself as a bondservant of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he explained why he was this bondservant, why he was an apostle. It's for the faith of those chosen of God. That's really important. He knew he had a reason. He knew he had purpose. It wasn't just for his own personal salvation, though that be as serious as it is, okay? But we all must realize this, that the Lord has a calling for us. He has chosen us. So he says it's for the faith of these chosen and the knowledge of truth, which is according to godliness. He knew that he had been given this knowledge of truth and that he was supposed to teach this. And then he said this, and the hope of eternal salvation. So he introduces himself, declares, this is the reason, this is who I am, how God at the proper time had manifested his word to him. And then he told us who he's writing to. In the fourth verse, he said, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith. And then he declared grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ over him. And so it's a, uh, a very, very common greeting type of passage. Okay, kind of passage that you see in a lot of the letters. Then Paul gets down to it. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he said, For this reason, and so a lot of times when we read that in English, we're thinking, for this reason, what did he just say that was a reason? Well, no, he's about to give us the reason, okay? For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So there were believers in Crete, and Titus had been a part of the entourage apparently with that, right? And so Paul had left him behind. And he said, I left you behind that you would set in order what remains, those who believe that he would help them, that he would teach them. And then we see this interesting phrase that you appoint elders in every city as I directed you. There's usually a big debate within the body of Christ of the, the proper form of government within the true body of Christ, the organism of Christ. The organizational church, I'm not even going to deal with that. That is so corrupt in so many different ways, okay? But there are legitimate questions as to how we're supposed to function within the organism, within the body of Christ. Uh, in my background and probably most of our backgrounds today, we have a, a very, very uh, person-centric type of leadership. Everything is basically around one individual, the one that we call the pastor, the shepherd. And you really don't see that in Scripture. What you see in Scripture is a plurality of leadership. Now, boy, there's people that will argue that. I saw an argument this week from a place, and this guy is just ranting and raving. And he says, the problem is that when you have elder leadership and this plurality of elders, it's always God's never going to bless that because he calls the one man to have the vision, the one man to do this. And that's simply not true. He calls all of us to have his gifts, the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit, to function together. There will be those that will have the understanding and the leadership. There's a spiritual gift of leadership, folks. Okay, And let's hope that the leaders have the spiritual gift of leadership. 
And there's roles and there's functionings. You see elders, you see bishops, elders, you see deacons, you see servants. And it's not deacons in the sense that it is in a, most Baptist churches where it's a, a board of directors type of thing. No, not at all. But you also don't ignore it. You know, some churches don't even have uh, a deacons. They have people who serve. That's what deacons mean. One who serves a servant. That's the reason you can have male or female deacons in Scripture. People freak out over that, you know. But what you see here is that Paul had left Titus behind and told him, he said, hey, I want you to appoint these elders. Appoint them. He had given them the right and the authority, him the right and authority, to appoint them. Now, what would he appoint them and base this upon? Well, he's about to give a list right here. Okay? He's, and we'll get to, I guess, a portion of it today and then the balance of it later. He's going to give some understanding about what kind of people, what kind of individuals these folks must be, uh, these elders that would be appointed. You notice they're not really voted on. You know, in our society, a lot of times people vote on these things, and you don't really vote on them. Uh, really, leadership such as this rises to the top. And I don't mean that there's things on the bottom that are not worthy of leadership. No, what I'm saying is that it becomes evident. Okay, it becomes evident. Just think about it. Uh, I like to think of a, a little old lady, Ms. Alma, who many, many years ago went to glory. But if I need leadership related to cooking or leadership related to how to make draperies, don't come to me. You'd go to Ms. Alma. She's the one that had that leadership. Everybody knew it. They knew that she was gifted. They knew that, that she was skilled. They knew that she loved that, and there was a call for that. So what he's saying right here is I want you to appoint elders in every city as I directed you. There's going to be certain uh, characteristics that I want you to see. But what you're going to see is that the body of Christ will acknowledge these folks as leaders. It's not the kind of thing where you're going to have to come along and say, okay, this is the one that's been chosen, so therefore you must bow the knee before this. The, the idea is going to be that the general consensus of the body is that, yes, we acknowledge this giftedness in this person. Does that mean that everybody's going to agree? No, because you always have the wheat and the tares, right? <laughs> but he told him, Paul has told uh, Titus, that's for, it's for this reason I left you behind. Now listen to this again. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. So you start seeing some of the characteristics of this person who is a, a leader, that he's above reproach. Okay, above reproach. Does that mean that he's perfect in all things? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. But he is spoken well of. The husband of one wife. Now, boy, that's always been a biggie right here. And people say, well, uh, that means if somebody is divorced, then they cannot be an elder. And, you know, I can understand how some churches want to interpret that and how some people will. If you dig down a little deeper into what's really being said right here, particularly with the original language, I don't want to go all Greek on you and everything like that. But there's an idea that's being communicated here. And the idea is this, a one-woman man. A one-woman one man. I'll tell you what, I know a lot of people that are in leadership position in churches, and they've never been divorced. They've had the same wife for 30, 40, 50 years, and they are not one woman, one woman man. <laughs> and you say, well, are you saying they have a bunch of affairs? Well, sometimes they do. But even if they have not done anything of the flesh, their hearts are wrong. Okay, Their hearts are not the heart of a one woman man. And that's what he's being said over right here. 
having children who believe. Does that mean that the children will be perfect? No, just as in the same place that the man will not be perfect. But they're children who believe. Okay, now, boy, are there not ebbs and flows and seasons of that? Okay, yeah. But we know that his children are not the ones that will be fighting against the kingdom of God. And then, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. I tell you what, we're running out of time, but the next time we'll come back and look at these words a little closer, okay? Uh, he's not accused of one that's being a drunkard. He's not accused of gluttony. Uh, you're not going to see in his pattern of life rebellion against the Lord God. You're not going to see a rebellious spirit in him. Now, what's going to happen is that you're going to see that a lot of times leadership will have the calling and the world will look at them and say, well, they're rebels. Well, yeah, they're rebels because they speak forth the truth and the truth is so rare nowadays, okay? So anyway, this is what Paul was saying to Titus. You remember, I left you behind in Crete right here. It's where you can set in order what was there. The people that were believing as they went from city to city and place to place, people to believe, he'd set them in order. And then he would look for people and he would be seeking the Lord. He'd be looking at how the people were drawn to people and he would be looking at the characteristics of the people and he would appoint these elders. Tell you what, I think we would do well if we would adhere even more strongly to the scripture when we look to leadership. Again, I'm Dale and I'll see y'all again next time. Goodbye.